The Truth News Network. One man can change the world. It's done every day. Kepler, Copernicus, Ptolemy, Lister, they all change the world. Interesting that these are scientists. And the hallmark of science is skepticism and a relentless pursuit of truth. Starting to see a picture? Good. And here to clarify that picture for you from TNN, the Truth News Network, Dan Newman. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Friday. Welcome to TNN Live. Thank you for joining us every day, Monday through Friday, 9 to 11 a.m. We have a huge group of people that just make this part of your morning. And please know this, we don't take that for granted. It's a sacrifice. It's a commitment. And we want to do our best to fulfill what we promise that we're going to do for you every day, which is bringing you facts about the important things in our lives. And aren't our lives really flooded with information today? I, I, just, I just closed the book on research just a few moments ago. I got to be honest with you, for every hour we do TNN Live, we spend at least another hour, sometimes an hour and a half, researching to find out facts. And one would think with all the terror and the horror that's going on around the world, as it pertains not just to the people in Ukraine, but everybody else in Europe, and people even here across the pond, are really concerned looking at all that chaos, that confusion, that evil, trying to put all of those details of the circumstances that come out, I mean, constantly, they're changing. We're watching something that is an epic first-time event. Maybe it's happened before on the planet. I'm sure it has. We've had wars. We've had invasions. We've had genocide. And I don't want to diminish any of that. But we've never seen anything like this in our lifetimes. I'm 68 years old. Nothing like this has ever raised its ugly head in world history that I can remember. It's different. And so because it's different, it has different requirements for us to get facts. We've got to make sure that we don't let the confusion and the chaos of this dominate our lives. Fear is the worst tool of evil leaders in world history. And many of the conquering heroes in the past, if if you want to call them heroes, we'll call them villains or totalitarianists or whatever, the greatest tool they have and the greatest tool they use is to make people be afraid. You don't make good decisions when you make those decisions based on fear. And don't you think there's plenty of that going around right now? Can you imagine in Ukraine, a big country, 43 million people, it's spread out all across Eastern Europe. Very sophisticated, very up-to-date world. It's not, in Ukraine, it's not a third world country. I mean, they're right up at the top of the heap. And all of a sudden, this tyrant from the next country over decides He just wants to come into your country and take over everything and blow everybody away. Unprovoked. That's the thing that nobody can understand how any leader of any country could ever go into a war, initiate a battle totally unprovoked. 
the people did nothing to warrant what they're facing here every day. And so let's circle back to where I started this different segment, talking about can you imagine Ukraine, especially the big cities in Ukraine, and there are some big cities. Uh, The second biggest city in Ukraine is about the size of Dallas-Fort Worth. That's a lot of Ukrainian people. Those big cities are vertical. You understand what I'm talking about, vertical, which means there's not nearly as many single housing units as there are in more rural communities. It's kind of like, look at New York as compared to Uh, let's say um, Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Baton Rouge is spread out a lot. They're single-family housing, far more than multifamily housing. In these big cities in Ukraine, people live in multi-units. I mean, really tall buildings. Think about what they are looking down the throat of today, the people in these cities Here's the way Russian guerrilla warfare has happened throughout history. They'll go into these big cities and they start going block to block, door to door, and they're going to slaughter everybody that's still there. Multi-story, 20, 30, 40-story buildings that are housing for Ukrainian people. Imagine facing that, knowing that is inevitable. When you wake up in the morning, you're a mom and a dad. You normally go to work. You raise the kids. You take them to school. You do everything every day. And then all of a sudden, this is thrown into your world. I mean, there's no other way to even process that other than I understand the Ukrainian people that are struggling with fear because they don't have any answers. There is no understanding. And when you go back up at the 10,000-foot level and look at it, here's the thing that just blows me away. Everybody on the planet, every leader in every country today, every single one, they look at what Vladimir Putin is doing over there, and they will not step up and get in his face and defend the Ukrainian people. Nobody, nobody's even making an attempt to to join Ukraine with any kind of military pushback against Vladimir Putin. And you know why? It's because of fear. Fear is driving all of the political and military decisions that are all put together. They are determining the outcomes of the future for the lives of not just these 43 million Ukrainians, but everybody in the path of Vladimir Putin. Why are they so afraid? Everyone knows Russia is a nuclear superpower. Everyone knows that based upon his actions and what he's doing, Vladimir Putin is unhinged. And so all of the leaders in the world, when they look at this and they say, you know, normally here's what we'd do. We'd send troops, we'd send A-10 Warthog, jets to take out those tanks in that 40-mile-long convoy headed for Kiev. That's a normal situation. But anything like that that is initiated by any country will immediately be tagged by Vladimir Putin as starting a war against Russia. 
and that gives him an excuse to go nuclear. When you have a despot that you don't understand, you can't figure out what or why he's doing what he's doing, and he's got all these nuclear weapons. Russia has stationed all across Russia enough nuclear power to destroy our entire nation. Now, that doesn't sound like something that we've ever thought about in reality in our lives. Back when it was communist Russia, Soviet Russia, Nikita Khrushchev was their leader, John F. Kennedy was our president, in our schools, I was in fifth grade when JFK was assassinated. We would do a test. We, the bell would ring, a special bell, and we would all get under our desk at school. Why would we do that? Because there was fear worldwide that Nikita Khrushchev was going to send nuclear missiles to the United States to take us out. Fear. Fear is incredibly powerful. And folks, here we are in the United States. What we're seeing and hearing is what the media are putting together for us. What does that mean? What are you referencing, Dan? It means that just because we see and hear what these people are showing us and telling us, that doesn't necessarily mean we're getting all the facts. Now, I'm not talking about conspiratorial things. I'm not, I'm not saying anything bad is going on other than what we are seeing. I am referencing that you need to be careful what you allow to go into your mind and your heart to make the choices, the determinations of what's really happening over there and its impact, what it might be around the world. Don't let fear drive your boat. Resist that temptation. First of all, there's nothing you can do. There's nothing I can do other than pray and hope and believe. That's pretty much all we can do. We've got to understand this one thing, folks. Prayer and belief, that's what we have to stick to totally, rejecting fear. There is no upside in living in fear whatsoever. There's only negative stuff there. So what do we do, Dan? How do you process this? What you do, you start with facts. You get the facts. And so let's just talk about the facts of where we are. There was a late night call from Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky to Joe Biden yesterday to talk about fighting between military forces near that nuclear power plant in Ukraine. They have five of them. One of them has six, six specific systems of nuclear power. Ukraine's State of Emergency Service said that a fire erupted at a training facility outside a nuclear power plant in the middle of the heavy fighting between Vladimir's forces and Ukrainian forces. Ukrainian Minister of Foreign Affairs Dmitro Kuliba claimed on Twitter that that plant could cause a disaster that is 10 times larger than Chernobyl. You remember that one? The weather reports have suggested the threat is less severe. Ukrainian officials said that plan has been secured after the fighting broke out. Thank God. The White House confirmed Biden talked in his call with Zelensky about the nuclear power plant stuff. 
Two leaders urge Russia to stop military activities near the plant and to allow local firefighters to contain the flames. One reporter stated the threat of a Chernobyl-style disaster has been overblown. That's a good thing. The IAEA announced late last night that it was aware of reports of shelling at the plant and they are in contact with Ukrainian authorities. As of just a few moments ago before we went on the air, thank God there is no leak at that nuclear facility. But see, this is just how close we are to being totally, totally obliterated information-wise. Nobody is giving us good answers. Nobody's giving us good solutions. And that's what's different this time than from any other kind of horror story like this that I've ever lived through. There's always someone that is capable, is trustworthy, that will stand up in leadership and say, this is horrible. What's happening to us right now is almost unbelievable. But we refuse to let fear control us. And so here's what we're going to do to handle this. There's not a single person on the planet that has done this, that has stood up in the face of Vladimir Putin, with the exception of maybe one guy. It's not Joe Biden. It's not France or England's leaders. It's Volodymyr Zelensky, the president of Ukraine, who is handicapped and has hardly anything that he personally can initiate that will stop this scourge, this genocide in Ukraine. And folks, it is a genocide. Did you hear what Vladimir Putin has put out in the marketplace of ideas? Plans to stage public executions in cities that its forces conquer And the reason they say they're going to do it is to cut down the morale of Ukrainians. Now, this is coming from European intelligence officials. In addition to the executions, the plan includes crackdowns on protest and detention of opponents, political opponents. Fox News cited a European official in reporting this latest horror story development. Civilians have so far put up a tough fight against the Russians arming themselves with weapons, Molotov cocktails. Ukraine's state emergency service said that over 2,000 civilians have died since the invasion began. 2,000 Ukrainians. And that includes men, women, and kids. Russians yesterday took down the first major city, Kherson, in southern Ukraine. The port city's mayor announced the city hall had been seized by Russian forces They set a curfew, and they even showed up. Russian military intelligence officers even showed up at a city council meeting and walked in and took control of everything. In just eight days, we have witnessed the exodus of one million refugees from Ukraine to neighboring countries. That's according to the United Nations. For many millions more inside Ukraine, It's time for guns to fall silent so that life-saving humanitarian assistance can be provided. Now, they're saying stop the the gunning, stop the bombs, stop all that so we can come in and take care of folks. 
Folks, they're talking to somebody that has no conscience, that has not even hesitated to just go in and just brutally murder, slaughter Ukrainians. And it doesn't matter. Those Russian soldiers, they're killing men, women, and children and just blowing everything up. What kind of leader would do that? What's going on with Vladimir Putin's weird behavior? He's always been on the cutting edge, always been, it looks like, almost ready to fall off the mental wagon and just go bizarre. There's a collection of weird reports that are making leaders around the world question what is actually going on with him. Senator Marco Rubio out of Florida, he tweeted this a week ago in which he wrote, I wish I could share more, but for now I can say it's pretty obvious to many that something is off with Putin. Well, given Rubio's seat in the Senate Intelligence Committee, it's possible that he's got some classified, privy information regarding Putin's health and well-being. French President Macron He's kind of been the only person in leadership that gets a chance to talk personally to Putin. Macron met with Putin early last month telling everybody that he was struck at how different Russia's president was compared to when he met him during the summer of 2021. Putin gave Macron five hours, five straight hours of historical revisionism. Now think about that. That, That's an unhinged guy. He sat there for five hours talking about the history of Russia and all of the stuff that justified what he's doing in Ukraine. So he goes on for hours, rewriting history from 1997 on. He drowned you in these long monologues, noting that Macron kept trying to go back to the issue of the present moment, whether Putin was going to invade in the first place. Russia at that point had amassed over 100,000 troops on the border, and everybody knew he was going in. Even Putin's own Kremlin comrades have told sources that everyone is stunned by Putin's decision to invade Ukraine. It's impossible for officials to resign since this would be a betrayal. You can only resign right to jail. Senior officials weren't informed that this war would be a full-scale invasion. He just did it, folks. He basically said, hey, we're going to go to war, we're going to take Ukraine, and we're just going to fly by the seat of our pants. Now, his history of being a thug is well documented. There are books out there. One is The Man Without a Face by Masha Gessen. But he's been careful to keep his hands publicly clean. One of his top political opponents, Vladimir Karamurza, was poisoned in May of 2015. About 10 years earlier, Alexander Litvinko, another Putin opponent, died of polonium-210 poisoning in London. It made world headlines. While it's difficult to trace the poisoning back to a specific individual, and Russian government officials denied any wrongdoing, Several real experts and observers pretty sure that Kremlin officials were involved in that. When asked about the attempted assassination of his opponent with a nerve agent, you remember that one? Putin denied any involvement. He also seemed to laugh at the implication in a video 
posted by Al Jazeera. He's not all together, folks. His mind, his plans, nobody can figure it out. And when it comes to world leaders taking this guy on, it's a pretty important position for world leaders to get together on and find a consensus of what the heck to do. Doing nothing. All that means is the continued slaughter of Ukraine, the destruction of an entire nation, infrastructure top to bottom, every part of their society. He's just mowing it down. And don't think for a second, he made it very clear to everybody over a period of years. He looks back at the old Soviet Union when he was an officer in their intelligence community. And I'm being nice when I say an officer. (laughs) He is a thug. He was a thug. But he personally put people to death with hardly any cause just because it was the thing to do. He wants that back. The KGB were worse than the Nazis were in World War II. And he was one of the leaders in KGB. He's not going to stop at Ukraine unless he is stopped. He will not put his foot on the brake unless somebody stops him. And if that doesn't happen, folks, Northern Europe, especially the eastern part of Northern Europe, the Baltic states, they're all going back into the Soviet Union along with Vladimir Putin. And nobody, nobody except Vladimir Zelensky and his military and many civilians in Ukraine are the only ones that are standing face-to-face, toe-to-toe with Vladimir Putin and making a historical chapter in world history happen. Can you believe we're here on a Friday talking about something like this? In this show today, we're going to get more into the details, the whys, and what's going on. And there are some signs out there that give us a good look at some of the stuff that's going on. And it's time, folks. It's time for us all to just reject the emotional decision process and get to the facts, and just start making our decisions about this entire thing as it pertains to the Ukrainian people, as it pertains to world history, as it pertains to the United States as a nation, and as it pertains to us personally. You can't make decisions for anybody else. Maybe in some degree, if you're a parent, you can do it for your kids, but you can't change people's minds. So when you have powerful people who are screwed up, mentally challenged or whatever, for whatever reason or reasons, they just go nuts and they start doing things. We have to make decisions and we're going to get right to that. And the first thing we're going to do is talk about the root, the source of this craziness, this slaughter that's underway right now in Eastern Europe. We're going to get right to that, right after this. Ah, luxury. The aroma is full-bodied, the flavor is decadent, the touch divine, and the drive 
Yes, the drive of luxury is simply infinity. Introducing the Infinity Luxury Test Tour. If you think you are familiar with luxury, you haven't driven an Infinity. Infinity of Elk Grove invites you to truly become familiar with luxury and take a luxury test tour. It's like a test drive, but with more luxury. We invite you to drive luxury to luxury, not for an hour or even a day, but for an entire weekend. Your choice. Select your Infinity and motor off to a luxury weekend in Lake Tahoe or Napa Valley. And yes, all the luxury is on us. Introduce yourself to LuxuryTestTour.com and truly become familiar with luxury. Infinity of Elk Grove is literally giving you the keys to a luxury experience like none other. LuxuryTestTour.com. Drive luxury, drive infinity. Infinity of Elk Grove. Expect more. I love going all natural. It just makes me feel better. Nothing between me and my 100% all-natural, juicy, grass-fed beef. Introducing the all-natural burger, the first ever in fast food. With no antibiotics, no added hormones, and no steroids. Only at Carl's Jr. When your cable company keeps you on hold, you get angry. When you get angry, you go blow off steam. When you go blow off steam, accidents happen. When accidents happen, you get an eye patch. When you get an eye patch, people think you're tough. When people think you're tough, people want to see how tough. And when people want to see how tough, you wake up in a roadside ditch. Don't wake up in a roadside ditch. Get rid of cable and upgrade to DirecTV. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. This is the truth your mama warned you about. TNN, the Truth News Network. Truthnewsnet.org. And Dan Newman. If you haven't read today's story at truthnewsnet.org, the front page story, I encourage you to read it during the day. It's an analysis that I wrote uh, comparing real leaders in our world history, past and current leadership. And I think you'll understand a few things that you may not quite get yet when you read that story. Truthnewsnet.org. Check it out. Well, let's start this part of the show. Let's start this with kind of getting to a foundation of facts. Maria Bartiromo of Fox Business had an expert on early this morning and kind of gave the perspective of this Ukrainian thing in light of the fact of what happened overnight at that nuclear uh, power plant. Listen to this analysis. Uh, this was clearly a reckless and cavalier act by President Putin. And I, I think it shows the level of desperation that he is facing now in this military campaign, which is widely assessed to have been stalled uh, for all intents and purposes. Now, he didn't have to go and attack this uh, nuclear power plant. Uh, everyone would like this nuclear power plant to be secure and running, but he decided to do so anyway. And I think that's because he knows the emotion that this would tap around the world. When you put in nuclear power plants and Ukraine together, you think Chernobyl. So now the international eyes are on this power plant and not watching very closely what Russia is doing against civilians in Kyiv or Kharkiv. 
I mean, clearly, uh, Vladimir Putin is a pariah to the world. Is he at this point irredeemable? I mean, what what is the case in terms of what what his motives are? Is this just taunting the West? Well, we're in a very d dangerous situation because Vladimir Putin, up to this point in his life, has woke up every day wanting to preserve his power. And then all of a sudden, about last week, this changed, and he, he, he shifted from regime preservation of preserving his power to legacy building. Uh, and now we're in this very dangerous period of Vladimir Putin's legacy building, and he made a big gamble in Ukraine, and it looks like it's not paying off very well for him. Now, I should stress, we are in the very early days of this conflict. We're in day nine, and I think we need to start conditioning ourselves to accept and understand that this is going to be months and years long. This is not going to be something that's going to be over quickly. So as long as Vladimir Putin remains in power, we're going to be dealing with a madman at what, during what is the biggest geopolitical crisis in the North Atlantic region since World War II. Just think about what he just said, folks. Don't think that this is a, a real quick little thing that's going on. It's going to be around. He said for weeks, months, and years. This is a world-changing event. Now, what we need to do is back into and figure out how this thing got started and see if we can end it. We don't have all the answers, but we can sure go find some, like what Joe Biden has done and what he hasn't done. Let's look at that for a minute. He pushed from the very beginning of his campaign an aggressive anti-fossil fuel agenda. And of course, what that's done, it has screwed up our U.S. energy independence goals. And in the middle of all of that, that's kind of given... Vladimir Putin, a free pass. His aggression, it was birthed out of that. Putin has had a chance to see if this administration was going to continue to be aggressive in his support of the U.S. oil and gas industry. Tom Pyle, who's Institute for Energy Research president, Tom Pyle said that in an interview, quote, every action that this administration has taken with respect to energy and oil and gas has been the opposite of what it should be. In total, the U.S. imported nearly 3 billion barrels of oil. That's about 670,000 barrels per day from Russia last year and the previous year and the year before that and the year before that and the year before that, 10 previous years. The United States didn't buy one drop of oil from Russia. Biden's been after the fossil fuel industry since day one. He's consistently implemented policies against the U.S. fossil fuel industry, nixing pipelines, ditching drilling projects, pursuing burdensome regulations, and he's delayed the key federal oil and gas permit program all as part of getting ourselves energy independent, which we were when Biden was elected. First time in 30 years we were. It's part of his aggressive climate agenda. Meanwhile, the U.S. has become increasingly reliant on oil imports, including those from Russia. And Russia has established itself as a major player now, in the global natural gas markets, every one of our partners in Northern Europe, Western Europe, 
is dependent upon Russia for their oil and gas. The U.S. is set to return to being a net importer of crude oil this year under Joe Biden. That's according to federal government projections. The nation became a net exporter of total energy in 2019, factoring in both coal and natural gas trade, and a net oil exporter in 2020. Those days are gone. They're behind us. Putin has had a chance to see if the Biden administration was going to continue to be aggressive in support of our oil and gas industry. But he's been exactly the opposite. Shutting it down. Literally shutting it down. Oil prices, a big factor in determining gas prices, surged in the aftermath of Russia's full-scale invasion of Ukraine. Putin's decision to send troops into Ukraine were inserted when that began to happen. Uncertainty in the global energy market. Prices going through the, the roof. When the day Joe Biden was elected in Shreveport, Louisiana, gas was a buck sixty-nine a gallon. I paid three sixty-nine yesterday. It's worse than that around the country and other places. That's where we are, folks. That's where we are. Instead of pointing fingers and saying, it's his fault. He didn't do this. He didn't do that. He did do this. Instead of doing that, folks, what we've got to do is resolve a foundation. Put the foundation together on which we can build a process, a way to get it out of this mess. You and I had nothing to do with it. We didn't make any choices, any decisions, except maybe those who voted for Joe Biden because he did he did exactly what he promised he was going to do. He was going to go after the fossil fuel industry. He started that on day one. He had signaled it all during his campaign and even before he took the oath of office. Everybody knew what he was about to do. And the insanity of the lack of process, of planning, of creating and doing a transition program to go away from fossil fuel towards his renewable energy pipe dreams that he and the far leftists like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and Bernie Sanders. It is, it's, it's, it's a dream world. We can't live in that. And we certainly can't do it today. And we couldn't do it on day one of the Biden administration. There is no transition process. Simply, it's shut the door on fossil fuel. Turn the spigots off and just let everybody else provide for us. That's where we are. We are not followers. This nation has never been a country where people just benignly follow other nations, reliant and dependent upon others. We're the ones that do things. We always have. We're the nation on the planet that everybody looks at to see how this is supposed to happen, whatever this is. Why would they look at the United States for that? Because we've already done it in most cases. We're forward thinkers. This administration is exactly the opposite. Think about how stupid it was to go after the fossil fuel industry when we had no replacement. 
Wouldn't it have been a little bit smarter to sit down at the table with experts from every energy part of our economy? Doesn't matter if it's electricity, if it's gasoline, solar energy, whatever it is. And just find a process in which we could transition from where we have been regarding fossil fuel to these renewables, if it was decided that was the way to go. You don't come up with a plan that's going to be implemented in just a matter of months. We're talking about years, possibly and probably decades to make such a transition. But what would have happened if we had done that, we might be on the road just getting underway to go down that road, but we would have a transition in place, a planned transition. And we would not be now all of us running around the streets screaming the the sky is falling because there's no plan, none whatsoever. All this is is a geopolitical and economic crisis. That's all it is, and it was unnecessary. We did not have to go down this road. Joe Biden, hard leftist, climate freaks are the ones that forced this administration, this president, to turn the spigot off on the fossil fuel industry, putting thousands of people out of work, high-paying jobs. But worse than that, you're paying twice for a tank of gas from what you paid in 2020. We've got to find a way to get the, the slate clear and get some process in place that we can all live with. And of all people, (laughs) of all people, Nancy Pelosi came up with the first step. She said she would support a ban on Russian oil imports. And in doing that, she would align herself with bipartisan lawmakers that are pushing for us to go back to energy independence. I'm all for that, Pelosi told reporters yesterday during her press briefing ban, ban the import of Russian oil to the United States. Several Republicans and centrist Democrats have advocated for the Biden administration to impose a sweeping ban on Russian oil and petroleum imports. Putin ordered his troops to invade, and with that, our energy just kind of went, it's gone. And he had created, Vladimir Putin has created a situation where all of our partners in Europe, especially Northern and Western Europe, and now the United States of America, we're reliant upon Vladimir Putin for our energy. Lawmakers have argued that our dependence on Russian oil places the country at a big strategic disadvantage. We've imported more than 670,000 barrels per day from Russia beginning in 2021. I'm calling on the administration and industry partners to take action immediately up to and including banning crude imports from Russia. That wasn't said by Joe Biden. It wasn't said by Donald Trump. It was said by Democrat Senator Joe Manchin, who's the chairman of the Senate Energy and National Resources Committee. Republican Tom Cole and Republican Senators Jerry Moran and Roger Marshall asked Joe Biden to stop Russian oil imports 
and stop them immediately. Arkansas Senator Tom Cotton is also joined on calls for that ban. The White House has announced a series of economic sanctions on Russia's economy and those powerful oligarchs close to Putin. It stopped short on day one, day two, day three, day four, day five, day six, day seven, day eight. We're into day nine and they have stopped short of restrictions on Russia's fossil fuel industry. Why? The Biden administration argued sanctions like that would harm American and European consumers more than the Russian economy. You know what it would do? It would initiate Joe Biden looking back over his shoulder and saying, you know what? The American people are dying. Ukrainian people are literally dying, but our American people are dying because the cost of everything has gone through the roof because of a decision that I made to throw in with the climate freaks on the far left. He could change it like that if he would just open the spigot back up and tell our fossil fuel companies, get back at it, get back at it quickly. The U.S. and our allies and partners do not have a strategic interest in reducing the global supply of energy. That makes sense, which is why we've carved out energy payments from our financial sanctions. That is a crazy overall arching concept. It was rolled out by an anonymous White House fact sheet published yesterday. Russia's federal government relies upon its oil and gas industry to fund a whopping 40% of its annual budget. That's how important oil exports are to Russia. Oil prices now, today, their highest level in a decade, just because Vladimir invaded Ukraine. And those sanctions, obviously, they're not working. And yet yesterday, Biden met with his his uh, cabinet members, made a big deal out of it, had the press come in the room for the first part of it. And, oh, Joe Biden was in hog heaven, just having a great time telling everybody, what a great thing is happening, and we are on top of this, yada, 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 yada. When the reporters that were in the room began to ask about specifics regarding Ukraine, regarding things like cutting off oil exports from Russia, they forced the media members to leave the meeting room. Didn't answer a single question. We've got to start somewhere, folks. And nobody, nobody has been listened to that's come to the table with any suggestions. So after eight days of what Vladimir Putin called special military operations, that's what he calls this, a think tank of leading Ukrainian experts, they've come up with some potential outcomes as artillery continues to rain down on cities in the European nation and these big cities over there are just about to be blown to bits. Civilians in Ukraine are reeling from the devastations, left parts of Kharkiv and Kiev in ashes, families huddled together within their basements in old Soviet-era bunkers. One guy said, my father just celebrated his 67th birthday in a basement hiding from bombs. 
Reports of people being killed on the roads are everywhere. Russians don't differentiate between soldiers and civilians. A team of analysts that includes former National Reform Council member and co-founder of the Nova Crania Civic Platform, Valerie Picar, associate professor of the Department of Sociology in Kiev Business School, they all got together, folks, and they came up with a plan an understanding of what's going on. They created a scenario that has specific points in it. Here's number one. This was Putin's original plan, an attempted blitz, according to this panel. But a quick defeat and surrender by Ukraine was something the Russian president's generals could not and did not deliver. Once Zelensky rejected the U.S. offer of evacuation on February 26, saying the fight is here, I need ammunition, not a ride. The fires of resistance burned even brighter. And Zelensky's now famous phrase became a rallying cry felt throughout the nation and the world at large. I need ammunition, not a ride. So we're in our second week, second week of the invasion. Zelensky released a video yesterday saying Ukraine's defenses were holding steady, but there hasn't been a moment's respite from the bombing since midnight. We have nothing to lose but our own freedom, he said. Zelensky added the country's receiving daily arms supplies from Ukraine's international allies. Let's just point this out. None of those military arms are coming from us. Scenario number two they came up with, shades of Syria. Much like the long conflict in Syria back in 2011, you remember that one? Russia's role in the Middle Eastern country's war provided a blueprint for possible long-term maneuvers in Ukraine that we're seeing play out now. Putin got in that one back in 2015 by supplying arms to Syrian President Bashar Assad. The Russian government continues today to support the enduring war effort in Syria without suffering the crippling losses originally projected by a bunch. February 15th, Russian Defense Minister Shogu visited Syria to shadow military exercises that some believe were preparations for invading Ukraine. It's the scorched earth theory, an endless style of war, this minister said, adding the likelihood of this prediction coming to pass is very high. Scenario number three, and we get scary now, World War III. Ukraine and the rest of the world held their breath February 27th after Putin ordered his country's nuclear forces to be on high alert. Compounding that, the foreign minister, Sergei Lavrov, released a statement March 2nd saying a third world war would be nuclear and destructive. Officials have admitted there is a possibility of that. If Putin is unable to achieve his goals and gets desperate, he could go to the nuclear threat and just do it. And folks, he's that kind of guy. He's in that kind of mindset right now. Putin could claim Ukraine bombed Chernobyl, which is currently under his control, and use it as a pretext to launch a nuclear strike. On February 24th, Putin's forces seized control of that Chernobyl nuclear facility, which Ukrainian President Advisor Podolak called a totally pointless attack. 
They believe the chances of Moscow playing the nuclear card are slim since it could potentially mean the end of Russia as a nation. Scenario number four, diplomacy. Boy, wouldn't that be nice. Second rounds of peace talks took place in Belarus yesterday after a ceasefire wasn't reached during the initial conversation. The spokesman, the team noted that diplomacy is still possible due to a combination of hard and big and heavy pressure from the West. And Russia's economy, while this is going on, you think it's bad here, theirs is imploding. This advisor said people have lost their entire life savings just a few days. In Russia, companies are firing employees, closing their doors due to growing sanctions imposed by the U.S. and Europe. This includes $11 billion Nord Stream 2 pipeline project, which refuted rumors yesterday that they were going to file for bankruptcy. Scenario number five, rebellion from within. And there are a lot of people that feel this is the one that has the most likely possibility of turning Putin around. Not outside, not us, not our partners in Europe, but the Ukrainian people from the inside. Some analysts believe the effect of those sanctions and heavy losses of Russian soldiers could snowball into a rebellion too big to stop, leading Putin's people to take him out. Now think about this. That narrative claims the invasion is going well and they aren't suffering any loss of troops, but the Ukraine army is capturing Russian soldiers and allowing them to call their parents back in Russia. One report says 7,000 Russian troops have died. They've been killed since the start of the invasion. This expert said the probability of this outcome has increased dramatically in recent days, admitting I would never have thought this was even possible before. So those are the scenarios that have been painted and put together out there. I'll tell you what they were again. An attempted blitz, which is what's going on now, door-to-door, city-to-city, trying that, the Russians are. Number two, shades of Syria. They went in there and basically they just went crazy and then left. They didn't have to move in there and occupy, which is probably what's going to happen in Ukraine. They're not looking for a short-term thing. They're planning on going in, but it could look like what he did when he went into scenario in uh, Syria. Number three, the worst one that I can imagine is really a world war, would be World War Three, And then diplomacy, staying at the table, trying to work out and find some consensus. They've only met twice. Putin nor Zelensky have been a part of those meetings. I don't think anything would happen regarding coming up with an agreement of whatever sort it would be unless that conversation takes place specifically be between Zelenko and Putin. And I think scenario number five is the best one. Rebellion from within. The Ukrainian people in Ukraine, Russian people, soldiers, people in the military that have had enough. We get stories every day about soldiers. They don't. They can't believe they're doing what they're doing and they have no concept at all of wanting to move forward In their vehicles, they're even punching holes in the gas tanks so they can just say, we're broken down, and they can't keep moving deeper into Ukraine. 
Folks, whatever fixes that anybody comes up with, you notice in all of those that we just mentioned, Joe Biden's name is not mentioned at all. No leadership on the part of the United States commander-in-chief. No suggestions other than let those sanctions work. Remember, I told you it was going to take 30 days. When I rolled them out last week, we wouldn't know the effects. We couldn't see the effects for maybe 30 days. 30 days. Think about how many Ukrainians are losing their lives every day, waiting on 30-day sanctions to stop Vladimir Putin. So what are the Ukrainian people doing? How are they handling this? We see all the, the throngs of people that are fleeing Ukraine, finding places to go, trying to be safe. You have families that are splitting up where moms are taking the kids and leaving the country. The men are staying to fight against Vladimir Putin. Their world is in total disarray. And very few of them can see any respite whatsoever from this. But as you can imagine, in the middle of every negativity, in every circumstance, bad thing that happens in our lives, we're Americans. The Ukrainian people are much like us in this regard. They don't give up. They don't lay down. I think they probably are a little tougher than Americans are. They've got plans. They have plans. They've got ideas. And they're living in those ideas, implementing, putting together, getting things done. And they're doing it one thing at a time. We've got some details about that right after this. Undeniably the go-to source for nonpartisan spin-free news from the world. Real truth, real news. TNN, the Truth News Network. Northern Tool and Equipment. My girlfriend has given me a pet name. I'm afraid to ask. Snuggle Muffin. No, it isn't. And she uses it in public. Okay, so give your girlfriend a pet name she'll hate, like uh, Thunder Chunky. I couldn't do that. I see. Too harsh for Snuggle Muffin. Okay. Drown her out with a 200-mile-per-hour cordless leaf blower. Got it. Here she comes. Hey, Snuggle Muffin. What are you doing, Snuggle Snuggle. I am so out of here. Wait. Come back, Thunder Chunky. There's no problem a little horsepower can't solve. Northern Tool and Equipment. Hello? Hello, sir. I hear you having problems putting together your new kitchen unit. Oh, yeah. Uh, the instructions say... What now? The instruction manual. It makes absolute... Stop reading that. Well, what would you suggest I use? I suggest you use the fact you're a man. Huh? Guys who got pride never relied on no guide, sucker. I'll give you some step-by-step instructions. <laughs> Buy Snickers, remove wrapper, bite chocolate, and get some nuts. Go to GetSomeNuts.tv for more... Taking the time to speak the truth, no matter the cost. Dan Newman, TNN, the Truth News Network. Folks over in Europe aren't sitting still and doing nothing in the middle of this. And in this, guess what's happening in the information world? Russia is losing the information war at home. At home. And Vladimir Putin is not able to fully control the narratives surrounding this invasion of Ukraine. Remember, these soldiers, these soldiers, these Russian soldiers, they've all got cell phones and they're talking 
to people back home and they're talking about what they're being forced to do and what they're seeing be done. And people in Russia are going crazy. Rebecca Koffler is a former Defense Intelligence Agency officer. Yesterday she said, it's probably a bit of a stretch to say that Russia is clearly losing the information war. But signs indicate Vladimir Putin's got some information, real, real big trouble. A few days ago, the official Russian censorship agency came out warning to all media outlets that said only trustworthy sources are allowed to be used when reporting on this special military operation. And if you don't do that, we'll take you off the air. And that led to the forced closure of two independent news networks known in English as Rain TV. Overnight chief editor of one of these news outlets wrote on Telegram yesterday he was fleeing the country over fear for his life, saying it's obvious personal safety of some of us is now under threat. And then the BBC also claimed that millions of Russians have turned to the BBC in order to get factual independent information about the war. BBC.com supposedly saw 10.7 million views on its Russian-language news website, triple its year-to-date weekly average. Koffler added that Russia's going to crack down further, possibly ban broadcast by Western media if they haven't done so already. And here's something else that's going on. This one, it really kind of shocked me, but it shouldn't have. You remember that that uh, conspiracy thing during the Trump years, Anonymous. Anonymous, you remember that? Well, Anonymous, that group, Anonymous, they're on a war path and they are messing with Vladimir Putin's infrastructure regarding information. Listen to this. This is pretty cool. This is a message to Vladimir Putin. The group calls itself anonymous. Unaffiliated hackers around the world now putting Russia in the crosshairs. Members of anonymous have declared cyber war against your aggressive regime. They claim they've already targeted more than 1,500 Russian websites, including Kremlin-controlled news agencies, the Ministry of Defense and Space Agency, Russian oil companies, Internet providers, even TV channels. Their call uh, to fight in the cyberspace has resulted in a lot of websites not being available, some websites going down, and a lot of records, uh, you know, Russian government, Russian military records being dumped out under the Internet. U.S. officials confirm they've seen evidence of the anonymous hacks after Russia launched a cyber and ground offensive against Ukraine. But the real risk to Russia long term is the canceling of their access to Internet infrastructure as private sector companies decide that they're going to delist or no longer carry their traffic. Cutting off Russia from the world would also deprive everyday Russians of access to outside news and information. And cyber pros worry Russia may view the anonymous hacks as Western attacks and target U.S. government and company sites. U.S. Cybersecurity Director Jen Easterly. How at risk is is the average American or that very small business owner? Everybody's at risk which is why at the end of the day, they need to take the steps to protect their systems, their networks, and their data. This can happen to anyone. There is no one that is immune from potentially getting hacked. 
The cybersecurity basics never click on suspicious emails or links, use complicated passwords, and multi-step authentication. Back up your computers and keep security software up to date. This basically ensures that he can log in even when the password is changed. Israeli firm CyberBit uses real-world attacks to train American companies to defend themselves. The questions organizations need to ask themselves is not if they are going to be hit, but when they are going to be hit. As for Anonymous now targeting Russia. We are Anonymous. We are Legion. Expect us. Russia has always been perceived as the cyber attacker, and now they're on the receiving end. Instead of always being on offense, they also got to be on defense. And that really lowers their capability in some ways to also do attacks. Yeah, the cyber battlefield seems to be expanding by the day. We've already seen in recent years U.S. oil pipelines hit, food supplies, hospitals, banks attacked. Experts say those could be targeted again, but also electric grids, uh, also dams, water systems. Everything is a potential target right now. U.S. cybersecurity has great resources uh, online. Goes back to you. All right, Tom Costello for us. Tom, thank you. Isn't that interesting? Cyber attacks. Russia, <laughs> they perfected their ability to do that. And remember back when they, they started locking down companies over here and individuals over here. And our company, a medical billing company, large one, connected with the computer networks of dozens of huge hospitals and medical centers around the nation. They shut us down, just bam, instantly shut us down. And this is back in the very beginning of Bitcoin. We had to go find out what Bitcoin was and get Bitcoin so we could get them to unlock our networks. They threatened to delete everything on our network if we didn't, which meant they would go into all of these online networks we had with these big hospitals. Can you imagine the chaos that comes from that? And now it looks like maybe Anonymous, these hackers, supposedly unaffiliated hackers, but they're tackling Russia's infrastructure online. Maybe there's some hope there. I don't know. I just want to make sure you know that's going on. Well, let me ask you this. In the middle of all of this, we pretty much have vacated conversations about other very important things in the nation. Guess what's going on down, down south? Well, it's kind of like what's going on in Ukraine. Joe Biden wants to spend more than $10 billion in American taxpayer money to protect the borders of Ukraine. Does that sound kind of eerie to you? All of this while he spent $6 million every day to not build our wall along our Mexican border. $6 million a day is what we've been paying to not build that wall. Yesterday, Punchbowl News reported Biden is going to ask Congress to approve $10 billion in emergency military and humanitarian aid for Ukraine and Eastern European allies. Already, Biden's issued $350 million to help protect Ukraine's borders. Meanwhile, infrastructure at our southern border, it's now been neglected, sitting out in the in the heat, the humidity, rusting for over a year. Immediately after he took office, Biden stopped all construction of border wall, leaving materials to rust in the region's desert-like weather. In March of this year, just a few days ago, 
Breitbart News exclusively reported Biden had been spending $6 million every day in taxpayer money to not build the wall. By July, Biden spent $2 billion to not build the wall. With costs leveling out at about $3 million in taxpayer wasted money every day. So he's focusing, as probably every leader on the planet is, all of the attention on Russia's invasion of Ukraine. We see, we see an invasion here that's happening simultaneously. More than 2 million border crossers and illegals arrived at our southern border a year ago. A record-setting figure of illegal immigration never seen before in American history. Additionally, Biden has ensured more than half a million border crossers and illegals who arrived at the border last year were subsequently released into our interior. Where? (laughs) They don't know, or if they know, they're not going to tell us. The figure is likely hundreds of thousands higher. But Homeland Security, Alejandro Mayorkas, has refused to reveal the official total. This year, 2022, this year, experts are predicting that Biden will again set a new illegal immigration record with more than 2.1 million border crossers and illegals expected to show up at our border. Hundreds of thousands of those arrivals are likely to be released into the U.S. interior just like they've been doing all year long. In January alone, two months ago, Biden released into the U.S. interior more than 62,500 border crossers and illegal aliens. That's a foreign population more than twice the size of Princeton, New Jersey, nearly twice the size of Lexington, Massachusetts, and more than six times the size of Jackson, Wyoming. It's a flood, and it's a critical issue. And Joe Biden, world leaders, Citizens of countries around the world are looking to the leadership here to help them work through their problems they're facing looking at this Ukrainian invasion by Russia. And we can't even take care of our own stuff. Fox Business's Mornings with Maria. Yesterday, Senator Ron Johnson warned that what's going on in the world, including the Russia thing in Ukraine, There are still some unresolved issues about Biden's business dealings with Russia and China. Now, we don't want to go back into conspiracy mode. We're not going to do that. Let me tell you what. This is a real issue that is bubbling under the surface that no one in politics in Washington wants to talk about. Senator Johnson yesterday described Biden as being dramatically, seriously compromised. Johnson said, that's my concern. We don't know all of his foreign financial entanglements. We've certainly shown the indication of the advanced web of them, but I'll tell you who does know Russian intelligence, Chinese intelligence. Is that why he lifted the sanctions on the Nord Stream 2 pipeline? Which again, was one of the factors emboldening and tempting Putin to invade Ukraine. Was it because of that? What does China know? Is that why he canceled the China initiative? to make sure they don't steal our intellectual property from our university systems. Johnson said, I think Tony Bobolinsky was right. Remember him? That's the former partner of Hunter Biden that was running that 
Burisma Holdings slash Moscow slash uh, China financial enterprise that Hunter Biden was involved in. Johnson said, President Biden is dramatically, seriously compromised. We just don't know to what extent. Let me give you something else that's going on behind the scenes. This one will toast you. The old Iranian nuclear deal. Remember that? That was the one that Barack Obama and Joe Biden put together. John Kerry was Secretary of State. They did all of that solo. They put that whole deal together that involved billions of dollars and Ukraine pretty much getting open permission from everybody to push on with their nuclear weapon development. Donald Trump came in and he canceled that deal. Well, that's not setting well with the people in Iran and, of course, with Joe Biden and his power junkies in his administration. So as Biden is condemning Russia's invasion of Ukraine and publicly threatens Moscow with escalating punitive measures, of course, they're not working at this point. While that's going on, he's quietly collaborating with the Russians. Listen to this now. To revive the Iran deal and undermine future U.S. presidents who might want to get out of it. Now, let me, let me unweave this for you. Listen closely to what he's doing. The U.S. has partnered with Russia to get a new nuclear deal with Iran. This includes secret talks with the Russians over the last year and some agreements where Russia would hold uranium that had been enriched by Iran and then give it back to Iran if and when a future Republican president backed out of a new nuclear deal. In other words, Joe Biden right now is colluding with Russia to come up with a way to make sure that the Iranian military, mullahs, whoever is in charge over there, has unfettered access to the enriched uranium that is necessary to put on the tip of an ICBM missile as a bomb. And they're even making plans so that if a Republican comes back in as president and does away with the deal, Russia's going to have that uranium. And after this new president comes in, they're going to give it back to Iran. The Biden administration has been working with Russia to get it to undermine a future Republican presidency, if there is one. Richard Goldberg, who served on the National Security Council, worked as a staffer in Congress for years, said that under the deal that's being negotiated, this is actually happening while Russia's slaughtering Ukrainians. He said, it appears Iran would send enriched uranium stockpiles to Russia on condition Russia would return the stockpile if the U.S. reimposes terrorism sanctions. Last month, the Biden administration said it was aware of a Russian proposal for an interim nuclear deal with Iran without giving us any details. And when they said that, House Republicans demanded the administration share what it knows. Russia sent a secret agreement to Iran. That's according to Representative Michael McCall, a Republican from Texas. 
Russia is trying to take the lead now in that negotiation with Iran. This is a secret agreement. Nobody here has seen it yet. The U.S. and Iran have been negotiating indirectly in Vienna over the nuclear deal, allowing Russia to play an influential role with both sides directly. Gabriel Narona, who served in the Trump administration as a special advisor for Iran at the State Department, yesterday said his former career colleagues from the State Department, the National Security Council, and the European Union are so concerned about the deal taking shape in negotiations in Vienna that they shared with him details to publicize, get it out there in hopes that Congress is going to step in and stop this. The entire negotiations have been filtered and essentially run by Russian diplomat Mikhail Yulinov. Biden's negotiating team in Vienna is led by Robert Malley, who, according to Norona, has proposed that we will remove Iran's Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps from the foreign terrorist organization list and lift sanctions on it if the Iranians simply promise to talk to us in new negotiations about their regional activity, a.k.a. terrorism. Biden's also reportedly preparing he's going to lift sanctions imposed by the Trump administration on the office of Iran's supreme leader and those associated with it. Why would they do this? Why would they do this? There's only one reason. There can only be one real reason. At the end of all of this, folks, the love of money is the root of all evil. I can't come up with any other explanation for why would these Americans be pushing along with Iran to put weaponized uranium in the hands of the nation, the leaders of the nation, that their daily cry on their streets is death to America. It appears the Biden administration is just not trying to revive the original Iran nuclear deal. Instead, they're negotiating a new one that experts are warning will be more advantageous to Iran than the first one was. The U.S. would pay more upfront, less time on the clock, less lengthy restrictions on their nuclear program. Some of the deal's key restrictions on Iran's nuclear program expire within the next decade. Iran had a crash course in surviving maximum pressure during the Trump administration. They learned lessons from it. And they're trying to financially insulate itself as much as possible while they retain as much of its nuclear program as possible. We're not hearing anything about this stuff behind the scenes. So what is happening on the other landscapes of the United States of America while this Ukrainian thing is playing out? We have an election coming up in November. And it looks like it's not going to be a very good one for the Democrats. In fact, experts are saying Democrats are going to suffer historic losses in the November midterms. This disaster for their party is going to happen, not just because of the Afghanistan debacle or an appeased Russian President Vladimir Putin's invasion of Ukraine or the destruction of our southern border, the supply chain mess, or the support for critical race theory, demagoguery, 
the culprit of all this, this political wipeout, is going to be out-of-control inflation. It's hard for me to believe that with everything going on around us, all the craziness that we're dealing with, that inflation would be the big thing that could give control of Congress back to the Democrats. What could it be? Well, first, the Biden administration is in such denial of inflation, it sounds to Americans simply they don't give a rip in the misery that their policies have unleashed on average everyday middle Americans. Biden officials scoffed at price spikes, calling them transitory. Remember that? Or they have claimed spiraling costs are a concern only to the elites in the nation. They blame the Ukraine crisis. Or they fault the out-of-office bogeyman, the orange man, (laughs) Donald Trump. He's at the bottom of everything bad that happens. The Biden administration assures us consumer prices are rising at an annualized rate of 7.5%, as if the steepest increase in 40 years actually is not that big a deal. What's 7.5%? But the middle class knows that inflation is a lot worse when it comes to the stuff of life, like buying a house, financing a house, buying a car, buying gas, buying meat, or even buying two-by-fours. Second, inflation is an equal opportunity destroyer of dreams. It undermines rich and poor, Democrats and Republicans, conservatives and liberals. It unites all tribes, all ideologies, all politics against those who are thought to have birthed the monstrous octopus that squeezes everything and everyone that it touches. That's what inflation is. The conservative passbook holder sees his meager life savings eaten away. The liberal teacher's car payments, they got a stretch from six to ten years. The the prospective Republican homebuyer sees hard-earned potential down payment money eaten away every month. The Democrat carpenter feels his new higher wages by even less. Third, inflation is inescapable, omnipotent, and humiliating. We can't change any of that. It destroys personal dignity. It's toxic. It's insidious. Sort of like seeping, odorless, colorless, but nevertheless lethal carbon monoxide. Unlike the now very unpopular critical race theory, inflation cannot be avoided for even one day. You can't tune it out like you do the mess in Afghanistan or the non-existent southern border. Inflation attacks everyone, 24-7, 360-degree fashion. It's everywhere. You can't get away from it. It belittles you when you go to get gas. It downsizes you at the food market. It humiliates you. In the obscene real estate market, it makes you look stupid when you're paying for a new car. It ridicules you when you buy lumber. Suddenly, you apologize that you really cannot afford your child's braces. That's what inflation is doing, and it's, a, it's impacting every one of us. Fourth, inflation undermines a civil and ordered society. It releases a selfish, every-man-for-himself mentality. 
Inflation is the economic and emotional equivalent of smash and grab or carjacking. It's a brazen robber in broad daylight that so infuriates Americans because it's so bold. It convinces them their civilization is dying. One day, a friendly, hard-to-find plumber, this is an example, he says that he'll work for cash only to avoid taxes that everybody else got to pay. You notice your neighborhood Walgreens, suddenly lots of once inexpensive stuff now is pretty pricey and locked up. Shoplifters, you know, you got to keep them away from the good stuff. You sense that price stickers are mysteriously glued on top of older original and cheaper price stickers. In our well-deserved paranoia right now, you start to wonder if you're being price-picked by the car salesman, the barber, or the mechanic, and you decide that in order to survive, you too should be price-hike others. The fool won't play the inflation roulette game, is reduced to the clueless standing victim of musical chairs, Nowhere to sit once the music stops. You remember playing that when you were a kid? You would be the first one to not have a place to sit. Fifth, Americans know our current inflation is self-induced, not a product of a war, not the product of an earthquake or the exhaustion of gas and oil deposits. It was politically brought on by our commander-in-chief. Biden ignored the natural inflationary buying spree of Americans who were released from being locked down for nearly two years, had been unable to spend. They got loose. He encouraged gorging that huge demand by printing trillions of dollars of funny money for every sort of new redistributionist entitlements, those green climate projects, and pet congressional programs. Spin, spin, spin. The Biden administration eroded the work ethic. This is the one that just blew me away. You couldn't get anybody to go to work. It kept labor non-participation rates way, way, way high by paying with federal checks anybody and everybody that stays at home and doesn't want to work. It slashed gas and oil production by canceling federal leases, shutting down oil fields and pipelines, pressuring banks not to lend for fracking, natural gas fracking. In just one year, Biden reduced us from the greatest producer of gas and oil in the history of the world to an energy panhandler begging the Saudis and betting the Russians to pump more of the oil that we need. But now because of the Joe Biden administration and his policies, we can't do it ourselves. We got to get it from somebody else. Americans know this inflation octopus was willfully birthed. They're confused, and they're not confused about inflation. They're confused about whether Biden unleashed it out of his incompetence or it was a socialist idea of eroding the value of our money for those who had it while gifting cash to those who didn't have it. Or maybe Biden was deluded by a crackpot, modern monetary theory, the fool's gold that claims printing money ensures there's always going to be plenty of prosperity. 
Folks, in the end, it doesn't matter whether Biden was deluded or diabolical. Come November, Americans will rightfully blame him for willfully damaging their lives and lying about it every step of the way. You know, that's one thing I've never understood. If things are going to get bad, and if somebody in leadership says, we're going to try this, we're going to do this, and when we analyze it, we know the results are going to be bad, why do leaders continue to push us to go down that road towards inevitable failure? I, I just don't get the Biden administration. I don't get the theology, the theories, their operating procedure. I don't get any of that because none of it is based on substance, not a single thing. It's all based on pie in the sky and, oh my gosh, we need to create this utopia and here's how you do it. And the utopian is unattainable and the process costs a fortune and destroys a piece of our lives and our hearts. That's the world we're living in today, folks. This guy, this president, doesn't have a clue about anything in his own life, yet he stands up every day and he wants to tell you how to run your life from top to bottom. It's real, folks. It's real. It's actually happening. And the worst part of it is he's getting away with it. And there's very little we can do. We can vote. We can vote in November and pray that the process, the counting tabulation process, won't be tainted by people that are out there trying to force election results to happen the way they want them to to happen. And regardless of what anybody says, the 2020 election was full of that. I don't know if you were here yesterday, but a special counsel appointed by the government of Wisconsin, that special counsel, a former federal judge, came out yesterday with his recommendations. He was assigned to analyze Wisconsin's problems, and I've got problems, word problem in quotation marks, but to examine the alleged problems in Wisconsin's 2020 election. In his report that came out yesterday, this is not a guy who's in the tank for politics. He's a judge, a former judge. He said that election in Wisconsin needs to be ripped apart and redone because it is full of corruption and full of bad information that proves the Wisconsin election. One of those battleground states, remember? Those five battleground states, the results in those states, that determined that Joe Biden was going to be president, and we find out every few days another state has says, Our election results that we reported were real and right really aren't. And here's one that they say, we need to tear up the election results and redo it, which you and I both know we can't do it. We've got to get that whole process straightened out before November. So the American people, novel idea, so the American people can decide who's going to serve in Congress. Not somebody with their thumb on the scale of the vote counting to determine who they want to serve in Congress. That's just something else we got to deal with today, right? Ladies, we ask your forgiveness. Please forgive our immaturity, our outbursts of tacky compliments. 
Forgive our browser history. Forgive our hormones taking control of us. Forgive us for thinking an open shirt is the ultimate weapon of appeal. Forgive us for opening our beers like primates. Forgive for taking a no as a yes. For insisting on playing a guitar that doesn't exist. And please, forgive us for never washing our hands. Ever! Schneider, the beer with the exact maturity of the man who's in the process. When your cable company keeps you on hold, you get angry. When you get angry, you go blow off steam. When you go blow off steam, accidents happen. When accidents happen, you get an eye patch. When you get an eye patch, people think you're tough. When people think you're tough, people want to see how tough. And when people want to see how tough, you wake up in a roadside ditch. Don't wake up in a roadside ditch. Get rid of cable and upgrade to DirecTV. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Papa John is not interested in quality. He's obsessed with it. Because Papa John's a pizza maker. It's what he does. That's why you've got Papa's Quality Guarantee, signed by the man himself. Love your pizza, or we'll deliver another absolutely free. It's my guarantee. Better ingredients, better pizza, Papa John's. And right now, save 25% when you spend 25 pounds or more online. talking while we're visiting and even thinking about the election stuff. Let me tell you what's going on right now. You remember Dominion voting systems. Too many states have been relying for years now, we find out, on Dominion voting systems to make their voting processes perfect and keep any fraud from happening. We're finding out there was fraud and there is fraud and some of the operations that result from Dominion voting system use. So Biden administration officials at the U.S. Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Agency, CISA, that's the way you hear it referred to, they're trying to get a judge not to release a report on Dominion voting systems equipment down in Georgia. There's an investigation that was handled by Georgia looking into the possible corruption in the Dominion voting systems that have been used there. And they don't want, CISA doesn't want that report to be released. And you know why they don't want it to be released? They say releasing it would threaten election security. So CISA has already retained an unredacted version of the report. It was written by University of Michigan Center for Computer Security and Society Director Alex Halderman. Halderman has been criticized by both Dominion and Georgia Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger. The report should be released after being reviewed under CISA's coordinated vulnerability disclosure process. That's according to Acting Assistant Attorney General Brian Boynton. The officials argue the redacted report should not be released right now. But Secretary of State Georgia Raffensperger, one of the defendants, 
called last month for the secret report to be released immediately. CISA's goal is to disclose any confirmed problems and associated mitigations to the public in a coordinated way so the entire cyber ecosystem can benefit while minimizing the risk of harm to election security. That's legal eternity gobbledygook. The attorneys proposed that CISA would decide when the report should be released. Now, this case was originally brought forward, folks, way back in 2017 by good government groups and voters who say the lack of paper ballots undermines the voting process. Raffensperger last month called Halderman an individual who is paid to espouse opinions supporting the elimination of electronic voting systems to help a lawsuit brought by liberal activists. The public deserves to know the context of Halderman's claims and his testimony regarding the 2020 election. So what's happening, this whole thing was put in place to make sure Dominion voting systems were operating properly and did in the 2020 election. Raffensperger, who many think is in the tank and was part of whatever happened in voter irregularity in Georgia, he's now questioning the release of the report from the individuals that were brought in to analyze the actual process, and they did, and they have conclusions, and I guarantee you Raffensperger doesn't want it out there. Just another little thing on voter integrity and questioning. Speaking of Georgia, Georgia gubernatorial candidate Stacey Abrams, you remember her? Well, she really stepped in it yesterday, and she has been mocked unmercifully online after she compared herself and other progressive Democrats to Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky and his people who are fighting off a Russian invasion. She was on The Daily Show with host Trevor Noah, and she made the comparison on his show. Here's what she said. We are a stronger nation when we allow people to participate. She said that in a clip that's been picked up and is streaming online. And if we ever doubted that, she said, the war that Putin is waging against Ukraine, President Zelensky said it, and I'm going to paraphrase him probably poorly. He said, this isn't a war on Ukraine. This is a war on democracy in Ukraine. So in other words, what she's saying is, you remember she ran for governor. She was defeated by Brian Kemp. She never, ever conceded the election results and has with no evidence, no justification for her claim, she says it was stolen from her. She continued, said it's wrong when we allow democracy to be overtaken by those who want to choose who can be heard. And those choices are not based on anything other than animus or inconvenience. She's running for governor again. She was dogpiled online for the comments. The Heritage Foundation's John Cooper blasted her on her signature issue with receipts. Should be noted that Ukraine also requires voter ID. (laughs) That's what Cooper said, linking out to Ukrainian legislation. Other users torched Abrams with GOP Deputy National Press Secretary Will O'Grady pointing out her remarks were made on Comedy Central 
and Republican communicator Matt Whitlock called the comparison quite stupid. What kills me is she's got a voice and people are listening to her. She told Axios on Monday of this week that she will acknowledge the victor in the upcoming gubernatorial election, no matter how it comes out. I will always acknowledge the legal outcome of an election, she said. I've never failed to do that. She also said she doesn't want the American people to be in a place where we can't legitimately question and criticize systems in an effort to make them better. Well, she criticizes everything that has come up in our election system that didn't go her way, and yet she's been implicated in a bunch of different processes regarding the election in Georgia, the gubernatorial election, and then the general election of 2020. And there's a bunch of funny money going on over in Georgia, and she's been tied to a bunch of it, as well as the fact that several lawsuits in Georgia questioning the 2020 election results, people filed lawsuits. It ends up in a court that her sister is the judge in. And obviously, I don't need to tell you, but the results of that, those lawsuits came out in the favor of Stacey Abrams and others of her group. Just pointing things out. Yeah, there's other stuff going on besides Ukraine. We need to keep in the know. Speaking of uh, keeping in the know, our president, no matter where he is, he's going to find a microphone and a TV camera, and he's going to weigh in with something that is just deep as you can imagine. In the middle of all of this craziness we have going on, in the middle of $3.69 gas in the state of Louisiana, in northwest Louisiana, and $5, close to $6 now in California, Joe Biden is talking about, once again, the greatest threat against our nation. It's not Vladimir Putin. It's not communism. It's not totalitarianism. He's got it figured out, and he told us what the most, the number one evil thing, the the only biggest process that we need to make sure we take care of and don't ever let it exist. I'll just let him tell you. According to the United States intelligence community, domestic terrorism from white supremacists is the most lethal terrorist threat in the homeland. To that end, our administration is carrying out the first ever comprehensive effort to tackle the threat passed by domestic, posed by domestic terrorism, including white supremacy. Neo-Nazis, white supremacists, the KKK, coming out of those fields at night, Virginia, with lighted torches, the veins bulging on their, as they were screaming. Remember, just close your eyes and picture what it was. According to the intelligence community, Terrorism from white supremacy is the most lethal threat to the homeland today. Not ISIS, not Al-Qaeda, white supremacists. Doesn't that make you feel better? You know now. You wondered before. I mean, we've got people wearing sheets and hoods. They're just running willy-willy all across the nation. I see them every day. I see them every night. They come into neighborhoods across the nation, and they drag people out of their homes. They burn crosses in their front yards. 
When this was announced, I guess two months ago, three months, I don't even remember. There's been so many different things come up. I just scratched my head and I looked at the TV screen and I said, you know, I can't think of a single incident that happened in the last year or two or three or four that resulted in violence. I mean, real violence, people getting hurt, shot, beat up, killed, buildings being burned down. The only ones I could remember happened by one group, Antifa, out in the northwest of the United States. But I can think of dozens and dozens of others that happened and were perpetrated by really vile people, very coordinated attacks on human beings, on buildings, private property, police property, public property, hundreds of millions of dollars of damage done, people getting shot and killed, and not a single one of those was perpetrated by a white supremacist or a group of white supremacists. The big instigator were people of color, led chiefly by Black Lives Matter. I remember watching the horror on people's faces in Rochester, New York, when a group of black Lives Matter activists walked down the street and just walked through a restaurant. People were sitting at tables eating. And these protesters, they were actually violence protesters, even walked by tables reaching over, taking food off their plates, throwing chairs around. Incident after incident like that. Chicago, the Miracle Mall, some of the most expensive stores Designer everything along Chicago. The picture of Black Lives Matter activists breaking in, stealing millions of dollars worth of paraphernalia and destroying all kind of property. Burning cities down. I don't remember a a report of a single white supremacist action, yet you just heard the President of the United States say his intelligence operation says the number one threat to America is domestic terrorism chiefly led by white supremacists. Maybe they've changed the definition of what white supremacy is. Surely they have. <laughs> because I I I don't I you know, the one that Joe was talking about where you remember where they dragged people out of their houses and burned crosses in the middle of the night and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, that stuff really did happen. By the way, it was Democrats in the South that created the KKK. And until very recently, we've actually had big leaders of the KKK in the Democrat Party in the United States Congress. But if it's a Democrat, it's okay. You get a free pass for whatever your feeling and thoughts are about anything. This just further illustrates we have no leadership in this administration. None. Our attorney general, he's lost as a goose. He has no clue. When he appears before oversight committees in the United States Senate and he's asked questions, he can't respond. And so what he does, he throws up that wall and says, I can't comment on an ongoing investigation. Merrick Garland actually was appointed to serve as a United States Supreme Court Justice by Barack Obama. He was passed over 
had no confirmation hearings. The Senate wouldn't do it. And I guess his payback, Joe Biden made him the Attorney General of the United States and put him over the Department of Justice. And yet, nothing is being done about the criminality that is getting louder and louder, stronger and stronger every day in our nation. And the institutions that are constitutionally charged to make sure American laws are followed and those who break them are adjudicated under those laws and they pay the price for breaking them, that's gone. This administration has just thrown it away. I mean, look at what happens in our southern border. We gave you a report. Two million people, two million illegal aliens came across our southern border in one year. Not a single one of them has been prosecuted and deported based on immigration laws passed by our United States Congress, signed into law by this and previous presidents. They're not even being held accountable. In fact, they're being giving great financial boondoggles, housing, medical care, education, actual cash, transported to cities and towns across the nation instead of what the law says should be happening. There's a process in the law to actually hold people accountable for breaking law. But instead of doing that, instead of governing, instead of perpetuating the fact that the government of the United States is to be structured as government of the people, government by the people, and government for the people, that's gone. That's way back in our rearview mirrors. What it is now is the elites, the autocratic president of the United States and his administration. They've just grabbed control of determining what is okay, what is not okay, and it has nothing to do with the rule of law. And yet now, intelligence agencies have confirmed the greatest threat to Americans domestic terrorists led by white supremacists. And of course, no evidence to back it up, none whatsoever. It just sounds good. It just sounds good. Well, have you noticed COVID world is changing and changing rapidly? News is coming out a little bit more every day. Yesterday, we told you here, and if you weren't here, you need to hear this. It has been confirmed in the Pfizer COVID-19 vaccine. When that cell that comes with that vaccine is injected into every human's body that has it, it does change our DNA. If you're vaccinated with a Pfizer vaccine, it is going into your liver. It has been shown. It is proven, laboratory tested, and confirmed. It changes human DNA. That was the great fear at the beginning of this, expressed by medical professionals from around the world. We've got to make certain that these mRNA processes in these vaccines do not change our DNA. We were told over and over and over again by Dr. Anthony Fauci, by leaders in the CDC, That definitely does not happen, will not happen. 
Folks, when you can change, when you change people's DNA, strange things happen. It changes the constitution of that entire human being. Genetically, it'll never be the same. That human body will never be the same. We're just finding this out days after two and a half years of being crammed by the experts every day. These things are safe. They've been proven. There are no problems. When we report here every week the actual deaths and serious injuries that happen not from COVID-19, but happened from these vaccines. Published by the CDC as of Thursday, February 18th. I guess, no, it was Friday, February 18th. 25,000 Americans have died adverse reactions to these vaccines. 4,142 miscarriages, 12,000 heart attacks, 35,000 cases of myocarditis and pericarditis. And it goes on and on and on and on. These vaccines are safe. They're effective. They keep you from dying. None of that's true. They won't even talk about it anymore. You remember the mask thing? We got put back in mask. All of a sudden, last Thursday, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi announced she had been ruthlessly forcing everybody that came on the floor of the House of Representatives must wear a mask. Wear a mask for months. You got to do it. You got to do it. All of a sudden, she said, "Covid's over." Well, she didn't say it, but she created a policy that pretty much could only have been based on that thought process, which is over. So now, why wear a mask? Joe Biden does the State of Union address. The House chamber was completely packed with hundreds of people, most of them older than 65, nobody wearing a mask. Five days before the State of the Union message, if a thing like that happened, a meeting like that happened, it would have been termed by the far left, everybody would have been screaming, super spreader, super spreader. You're not abiding by the wisdom of the COVID-19 process that has been put in place and you're going to kill and infect everybody. All of a sudden, one fail swoop. It's over. COVID is over. But it's not, folks. It's not over. We're finding out more and more about it every day. And what we're finding out ain't good. And a lot of people, not just Americans, a lot of people from around the world, that have taken those vaccines. Listen to the experts, the experts in politics and experts in medicine that have put people in a place like this. It's a lot to take in, but when you need a refresher, it's all here. 24-7, 365. Every podcast, every blog. TNN, the Truth News Network. Truthnewsnet.org. What is Coca-Cola? Is it an excuse to get together? Since 1886, Coca-Cola has been passing on smiles from generation to generation. We've been giving kids scholarships. Like the early birds and the all-nighters. And you get to enjoy what matters most. Coca-Cola. Drink up. Ah, luxury. 
The aroma is full-bodied, the flavour is decadent, the touch divine, and the drive? Yes, the drive of luxury is simply infinity. Introducing the Infinity Luxury Test Tour. If you think you are familiar with luxury, you haven't driven an Infinity. Infinity of Elk Grove invites you to truly become familiar with luxury and take a luxury test tour. It's like a test drive, but with more luxury. We invite you to drive luxury to luxury, not for an hour or even a day, but for an entire weekend. Your choice. Select your Infinity and motor off to a luxury weekend in Lake Tahoe or Napa Valley. And yes, all the luxury is on us. Introduce yourself to LuxuryTestTour.com and truly become familiar with luxury. Infinity of Elk Grove is literally giving you the keys to a luxury experience like none other. LuxuryTestTour.com. Drive luxury, drive infinity. Infinity of Elk Grove. Expect more. Experts from around the world. I guess maybe Nancy Pelosi now falls into that category because she too is crying for Joe Biden to stop Russia from exporting oil. And it can be done. There are enough leaders that would support him in the world. He could do it. And especially he could do it if he would just reopen the United States petro business, carbon fossil fuel business again. Just say, go get them. But he doesn't do it. He and his administration say, instead, you and I should reduce our consumption of oil and gas to keep prices down. And ultimately, he said, that'll punish Russian President Vladimir Putin. White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki reached, and she came with some response out of the air from calls for the U.S. to stop importing oil from Russia. She said, Joe Biden and his administration were not interested in banning imports of oil from Russia because reducing the supply would only increase prices and that would enrich the Russians. What this is all, it's all a reminder of in the president's view is our need to reduce our reliance on oil. The Europeans need to do that. We need to do that. Of course, here's the thing, Jen girl, completely obliterates. Nobody gives us a plan. There's no transition plan. If we reduce our use of oil and gas here, what do we replace it with? The electric industry that they tell us is going to save the world, it doesn't even exist now. The infrastructure to do it is not there. It will take decades to get that to work, if it ever will work. So what do we do? We just stop driving cars? We just stop flying airplanes? We don't have trucks on the roads to transport goods and services that we need to buy? How can we function? There is no answer that is good when it includes stopping or reducing the use of carbon energy by Americans. We can't do it, folks. We just can't do it. That's going to wrap the week up at TNN Live, Truth News Network, back tomorrow at truthnewsnet.org with our bullet points, a recap of the biggest stories of the week. Let me just say this. Put the fear behind you. Put it in your rearview mirror. We're all going to be okay. There are circumstances that are beyond comprehension that you and I have no control over. We can't let them control us. Have a great weekend. And just remember this.
in your life, the best is yet to come. We'll see you tomorrow morning, Saturday Bullet Points, back Monday morning, 9 to 11 a.m. Central Time, TNN Live. Hello, it's me. I was wondering if after all these years you'd like to meet to go over everything. They say the time's supposed to heal ya, but I ain't done much healing. Hello, can you hear me? I'm in California dreaming about the way it used to be when we were younger and free. Forgotten how it felt before the world fell at our feet There's such a difference between us and the million Never happened, it's no secret that both